Oh, I was thinking about this today, though. Uh, I remember one of our earliest ones, at least our earliest tapings, we talked about Nick Drake season. Yeah. And I remember us talking about this last, probably last August, I guess the fall was starting to come on again. And we were like, usually we're starting to slip into that headspace in the next couple of months and right. getting into the slate gray autumn Nick Drake season. And yeah. we were both kind of caught off guard that it didn't happen last year. Mm-hmm. Do you anticipate it happening this year? Like, do you think... It didn't happen last year because nothing traditional or nothing um, ritualistic happened for me last mm -hmm. year. Like yeah. I, did, I don't think I really listened to Nick Drake last November, and I always do. Yeah, same. I don't think I listened to Joni Mitchell's Clouds last mm -hmm. November, which I always do while sitting in a... Preferably while sitting in a very specific cemetery during mm -hmm. the first snow of the season. Yeah. And it's kind of... It's a ritual that I have, and I didn't indulge in any rituals mm. and like I, all the music that is typically seasonal for me. Um, not everybody is like that. I'm a very seasonal music listener as we, we both are. Mm. And that Nick Drake season conversation, I don't think ever made it to air ah, okay. by the way. So <laughs> no one knows what we're talking about, but it's a very specific sort of inviting in of, of the season. Like it's going to be a little bit dark and gloomy yeah. and saying yes to that part of the season when it's November and all the leaves are dying and it's everything is, is gray. As you were just saying, like, it's just a, a yes to that. Yeah. You know? And uh, a yes to like whatever seasonal depression might also accompany it as yeah. well. Will I get it this year? I think I'm, I'm kind of getting it now. <laughs> like as much as I'm, there's a lot that I'm excited about right now. Yeah. You'll recall that last year, in August was when I had this, I, I spent a, a few weeks in a pretty significant depression. Mm. That hasn't happened this year, but it's a, it's a kind of boredom. It's yeah. a kind of, not a malaise necessarily, but uh, everything is chaos and I don't know how to respond to it because every way that I've tried to respond to it for the past year and a half hasn't made any impact on it mm. or me. So what am I left to do? And it feels like all I can really do at this point is notice when I'm excited about things and respond to that excitement. Mm. But it always seems to be a more fleeting excitement than it would be, you know, <laughs> otherwise in different eras of American life. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know. What about you? How do you feel about it? I feel no, like I'm I just pretty... battled. I didn't really answer no, your no, question. I think you but... did. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I just literally thought about it when I was waking up today, but yeah. um, I don't know. I feel very like, I felt the same thing where like last year it was that there was no, um, a lot of the rituals didn't happen. A lot of the social situations didn't happen. I was just talking to somebody about it the other night, how um, we were talking at one point, probably on mic, hopefully on mic about how even our record, like our go-to records changed when we weren't driving to gigs or driving to the right. same social situations because yeah. you didn't need the same soundtrack. So I have not been listening to as much sad music as I used to, and it hasn't been bringing me the same comfort. Mm -hmm. In a way, it brings me something. Like I still feel everything that I felt. It just, I don't seem to have an outlet for it mm -hmm. right now. And then there's other parts of me that I feel like legitimately changed. Mm -hmm. Or maybe not changed, but were very, very suppressed and aren't anymore. So I don't know. It's really hard to say because 
I think there's a part of me that's almost like fearful of it now of going to that yeah. full blown, like I'm going to be in this place because I don't have other people or situations to pull me out of it. Like I could go as hard as I wanted into that mindset because I would still have to play a show. Mm-hmm. So it was that perfect balance of like, you know, I'd be yanked out of it a little bit like socially, but I would also be able to indulge it musically so it was a really nice sort of harmonious way of dealing with those feelings directly. But for so much of the last year, I have not been able to indulge them in a way that's constructive for me. Well, I also remember positing during one of those conversations that maybe it's because you listen to that music during your me time. Mm-hmm. You listen to that music during your, because it's driving to the gigs, because it's, for me, it's, you know, a lot of the time being out in the woods or just in in moments of solitude and, and solace and often somberness, but a good coping mechanism for that somberness, if that's what it is, is to just engage in the me time and, and have that to yourself, have that introvert time and have that music that, that has significance to you be the soundtrack to it mm. because it, it makes sense, you know, that, that like you can share that music with other like-minded people, but mm. it's not typically or stereotypically the kind of music that you're going to be sharing with other people at like a bar or something, you know? Yeah. So it's not a jukebox song. <laughs> oh, man, <it> <laughs> Pink moon, not, uh, not a jukebox song. So I remember thinking like maybe it's because during the pandemic, all time is me time. Yeah. Or, you know, all time is spent in, in relative solitude anyway, mm-hmm. um, which, ha- which wasn't true for everybody. Some people were essential workers. Some people, you know, needed to be kind of on the front lines and really in the thick of it. But for a lot of people, myself included, a lot of the time was me time. So I didn't necessarily need a lot of that music that I'll go to to make a moment significant for myself in solitude. Mm. Yeah, and I think there's a certain amount of that solitude that I've kind of like really grown comfortable with now that yeah. feels different. Like it, it was way more protracted than it was in the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, like just being kind of locked down will do that. But mm-hmm. in a weird way, I've been finding that I am gravitating more towards like, I don't want to say power ballads because <laughs> <laughs> they're not, but like, um, like melancholy songs with drums. Sure, yeah. For some reason, they're just hitting me, but not too... Like like Jason Molina is one of my favorite uh-huh. writers and, and Magnolia Electric Company is like one of my favorite bands. Like I, they're, they hit me in a place that like I can never recover from, but I just haven't been going there because I did in the very beginning. I was on this drive around Boston just to like remember what the hell everything looked like and it was gutting. It was just like, you're so alone with it yeah. And in a way, it was like the most pure thing. But I was also like, Jesus, I'm not going to like survive this if I stay in this place. Mm-hmm. So f- for some reason, that entire itch has been scratched by like, I'll drive around and listen to, I uh, can't fucking believe I'm saying this on here, but I'll drive around and listen to like um, The Scientist, like Coldplay okay, song. Yeah. And just be like, yeah, man, like that's so good. Like, <laughs> moved by it, man. Like, just driving around blasting it. <laughs> And it's just, I've been doing that every day, dude. <laughs> and it's like very effective, but uh, it just feels right. It's like the right amount of like, yeah, I feel something, but also yeah, there's drums. Yeah. And that big awoo part at the end, you can just weep to. It's great. 
And uh, I don't know. I just, there's, there's like an energy now that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm also like healthier physically. So mm. I, for all I know, it's actually just the energy is actually there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, something, I just, long story short, feel like something has changed that I'm not totally sure how to categorize yet, mm-hmm. or I'm not even sure if it's enduring, but it's still there. I honestly feel like my soundtrack to the pandemic has been, I don't know how you'd feel about this, but Gunger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, because I, I got into his music when I was kind of in the deeps of that depression mm. about a year ago. And, uh, just sent, like I was kind of blown away by a lot of it. So, and, and it's, I was feeling very uh, spiritually vulnerable mm. around that time. I no longer feel that way. I no longer feel that it really matters, <laughs> that anything matters. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel like I started listening it, listening to it for the okayness to be spiritually vulnerable because Michael's absolutely that kind of person that just makes you feel okay with, yeah. with that. That's really nice. Um, it's not for spiritual purposes anymore. He's just a really, really good musician <laughs> and, and like a really weird, cause his music is like weirdly, it's, it's melodic and chaotic and mm. polyrhythmic mm. and it represents everything about like the kind of beauty that I need to hear mm. during a time of chaos, but also represents that chaos can be beauty. Mm. So uh, it's just been weirdly perfect. Yeah. It's, it's been weirdly just exactly what I've needed and honestly also a type of music that I didn't necessarily know existed. Yeah. So it's, it's been interesting to, to kind of dig into his discography, especially he did a a trilogy album in 2015 and 16, I believe Mm. called one wild life. And the three installments are uh, soul spirit and body. And uh, it's just a wild I guess pun intended. <laughs> it's called One Wild Life. It's a wild ride. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, other than that, like I haven't really gotten into much new music or like like introduced myself to anything that I hadn't known of before. Mm. Every recommendation I just skip over. <laughs> 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 I barely like open up, you know, YouTube videos that people send me. So it's it's been this. Uh, we'll just have to see. Yeah. I miss Nick Drake season. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at, dude, is like it feels whenever I go to that place now, and this is what I can't tell if this is just a defense mechanism <laughs> or if this is actually growth, but like, or even just a change, not even growth necessarily yeah. in a positive sense, but just a difference. But when I think about those memories and those records and the very, still very poignant experiences I've had listening to those records, like, it feels like I'm looking back at my youth that's gone. Mm-hmm. That's always the feeling I get. It's mm-hmm. not this like, oh, those will be back someday. I feel like I'm looking back at like, like I fled, like like I'm a refugee now for some reason in some spiritual sense. Like it's, okay. it's incredibly unpleasant and not necessarily um, scary, which almost makes it scary, you know? Like it's, yeah. this, it's just this deep aching, like Russian novelist sadness. Yeah. We're like, you're just trooping onward away from this thing that you still very much love, but is no longer there for you. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell if that's just a very um, overblown, but like reasonable response to that literally happening. Yeah. 
because all I've ever done with my life from the instant I was able to really form sentences was write and play music and try to find people who did those things and tried to do those things. Like, that is all I've ever poured energy into. And then suddenly I woke up one day and it was gone. Like, that was definitely a profound experience. So I can't tell how much of this I should be like taking with a grain of salt because I'm like, there's no way you don't get a trauma response from that on some philosophical level. But on the other hand, I'm also like, so much of this has felt healthy and so much of this has felt like it expanded my mind and expanded my interests. And, sure, you know, so sometimes I'm like, did I grow in a way or am I just fucked up now or what? Mm. It's weird. It just doesn't feel wrong. And that's the most yeah. disorienting part. I know that feeling well, and I had it a little bit later than you did, but yeah, it was good and bad. Mm. For me, the first thing that went, honestly, was like not listening to Elliot Smith nearly as much. Yeah, man. Yeah, same. And that, I noticed that happening and that hurt. Yeah. I stopped listening to a lot of like, yeah, just the music that defined my my youth or like defined a certain part of my life, a certain time in my life where music had to define mood a little bit more mm. or mood had to define what music I was listening to a little bit more. Yeah. And not only that, but also that defined like the kind of creativity that I was striving for. Mm. And I think that I, I, I like lost my connection with a lot of that kind of stuff around the same time that I got into writing the brand of folk music that I was focusing on for a, for a few years. But like, so I, it was a trade-off mm. and it was a trade-off that allowed, still allowed for creativity and still allowed for like a deep emotional connection to a genre or to a mood or to a mode of writing. But if I could have one period of my life back, mm. it would be 26 years old, the most depressed I've ever been, yeah. listening to Nick Drake's Parasite on repeat <laughs> in a cemetery. Yeah. Like if I could relive one moment, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that moment. Or again, hearing Joni Mitchell's Clouds in that same context like my first introduction to a certain type of music. Like a lot of that happened when I was in a really low place. Yeah. And a lot of that happened when I needed it. Mm. And maybe that's kind of the difference is I don't feel the need for it. Yeah. I don't feel the need. We, yeah, we always talk about like finding empathy in music and lyrics and like depressing music. <laughs> that's why you listen to it when you're depressed. Yeah. Because some people, they go for the uplifting, happy stuff, and they need a, a pick-me-up, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. Other types of people, you and me included, when you get sad, you listen to the sad music mm -hmm. because there's empathy in that music, and you know that they they have felt how you feel. Yeah. And maybe I just haven't felt that way strongly enough to merit Nick Drake's season anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe the seasonal depression. To, because a lot of the time it's not depression for me anymore. It's mm. it's more like I'll get seasonal anxiety. <laughs> yeah, they don't talk about that And then what one. the fuck am I doing sitting down to listen to Nick Drake? Yeah. Or any folk record for that matter. Yeah. Like, I don't know. What do you listen to when you're anxious? I listen to The National a lot during this and just in general, like now and kind of since. It's just been a really good... Yeah. Um, anxiety record or anxiety band, but it'll depend. Yeah. It depends yeah. on what I'm 
anxious about and for how long I've been anxious and stuff. But, but I mean, it all brings up an interesting point that like, there's that necessity. There's like, you need it in those moments. So you've got that really hard contrast between the just horrible sadness or the anxiety or whatever it may be with the absolute beauty uh-huh. that you're just aware of. Cause it's so stark in those moments. And then, you know, the strong association with whatever life context was going around it. And, and that's what I think part of me is like, I think the fear, I don't want to call it fear because it's not necessarily, like I said, that's what throws me off is it's not a terror. It's just kind of like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But I think it's this sort of like gut check of like, do I want to listen to some of those records on the off chance that I have to consign them to just being aesthetic? Like, yeah. is that beauty going to just be beauty? Am I going to be like going through a museum when I listen to Pink Moon? Mm-hmm. It'll still be as beautiful and as amazing of a record as it is. Yeah. But if it's not actively saving my life, mm-hmm. what's it going to do? Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that's like, Jesus, I don't want to like go back to those places at all. But I also don't want to go back as a bystander if it means losing you know, losing that, that person that I thought I was when I listened to those records. But there's another part of me that feels like I've solved some of those mysteries. I have no doubt whatsoever that I will feel that lost again, that I will feel that sad again, that I'll, all of those things will be true. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I will process it the same exact way because I've lived and I hope I don't process it the exact same way I did when I was 19. You know, it's just, <laughs> good God, that's almost the only thing that's worse than than this. So it's... It just, it's so cliche, but it just feels like, you know, realizing that you've grown up in a way, but not in a way that belittles these things, just in a way that like coming back to your hometown kind of a thing or like coming back to an old school and yeah. being like, God damn, these lockers seem so tall at the time. I could be stuffed into one of these things and now I, I can't. <laughs> That's how it feels for some reason. It's just, it's strange. I, and I've felt it around other things and that part of why I'm a little suspicious and wary of calling this like a definitive growth thing, because I've also become way more, I'm probably the closest I've ever been to branding myself in any kind of an ist identity. Interesting. In, okay. I've never in my life truly felt that feeling from an educated standpoint. Like I'm sure when I was like nine or 10 and I first heard like, I don't know, I first heard the Sex Pistols, first heard the Ramones. I was like, I am this, this is yeah. exactly what I'm sure. going to be for my entire life. Like you have those moments and, I still have those, but like I have been the closest I've ever been to an existentialist Yeah, for this entire year. Yeah, same. In every possible way to where I've never been religious, but I've always been pretty spiritual, pretty comfortably agnostic in, in the conventional sense, at least. Yeah. But I've never been an atheist and I'm really fighting that one just because I feel like that for me, that borders on nihilism. Just the way that I approach those things, it, it yeah. would tow dangerously close to misanthropy and nihilism. Well, I know that traditionally existentialism is kind of a school of atheism, mm. but do you feel like it necessarily needs to be? Um, We've had the time to recontextualize it. Yeah. So I feel like it can need to be sometimes, depending on why maybe you're sure. going yeah. to that place, but um, I don't think it necessarily has to be. I mean... Yeah, some of the arguments that Sartre makes, if you were to defend those arguments, mm. then you would need to defend them from an atheistic standpoint. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I think that there are, there's enough, like, kind of circular logic yeah. that he employs as well in some of his arguments that you don't have to be an atheist. You can just 
you know, existentialism as a meaning making method. Mm. That was way too many M's. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not S's, dude. <laughs> Give yourself homework. Uh-huh. Existentialism as a method of meaning making doesn't, I don't think, need to adhere to mm. atheism at all. And I don't know that they're necessarily as closely associated for me. Like I didn't like feel one because of the other, It, but they've both been on these very parallel tracks. And yeah. I've noticed that it's come out of this place of, um, there've just been so many things like in my life and just in the world in the last however long that I've just found like, you know what? I can sit around and philosophize about it or I can get poetic about it or I can whatever, I can make a record about it. But yeah. this clusterfuck is just going to keep getting bigger. And I need to bring some thought to this and fix this. And I had to do that with so many things that were very impactful at the time that like, I don't know, it's like I lost sight of the value of some of those aesthetic things that I used to define myself as. So it's this weird schism where I can mm. still read or listen to or watch or whatever. I can still consume all of that aesthetic beauty that I loved and that I used to just, I would have died for. But I'm like on the other side of it now. Yeah. And like I said, I have no doubt that I'll be back in those places again and that I will feel that type of pain again and that it'll it'll come back in some form. But um, it's weird. I've never in my life had this kind of an approach where it's colder, you know, you, you sort of feel like a human, you know, you don't feel like the way that poetry can make you feel and stuff, or like the way mm -hmm. when you are 19 and emo and, and making your first, like you hear your Elliot record and you make your first attempt at an Elliot record, like that phase <laughs> where you're like, I'm going to do this too. And I you just feel that. immortal. Like you feel like this guy, he died young, but he's not really dead. Cause he's so fucking close to where I am right now. Like he's like, sure the lining of a headphone away and it feels so present. Yeah. And that's the thing that I worry has died or will die. Mm. And the scariest thing is I almost think I need it to, to like get through my life. But it's also like, Oh, that's a new thing. <laughs> I haven't really done that before. <laughs> so it's, it's been weird, dude. Yeah. I just literally the last week I've just been like waking up with these like, Oh, interesting. Like I'm sort of checking out the, new surroundings around this kind of stuff. And Do you feel like that's going to impact the kind of music that you make? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it'll be, I'll make... Um, Surf rock. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Less social, I mean, less uh, solo music, probably. Yeah. I think it'll be more collaborative, more bands, more fleeting, like I won't death grip projects quite as much. Like, sure. I think it'll be driven by more ambition and more like... Rockabilly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, just like if all we have to do here is make this thing as cool as it can possibly be, let's do that. Uh -huh. Not making a record because I think it's going to save the world. And just making a record that rips or that makes me feel the specific way that I want to feel or makes this collaboration as cool as it could possibly be or brings out everybody's colors or whatever. Like mm -hmm. that's kind of why it's not. I don't feel that this is like some kind of nihilism shit because there's still a very strong defense of life. Yeah. But it's weird because it's not depressive and that's the thing that throws me off. So it's it's been revealing. I don't know. That's fascinating. It makes me happy to, to know that you are also going through that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I had the opposite response to it. Yeah. Like I was really 
psyched for it when it happened to me. Mm. Like when I, well, I should say like when depressing music stopped making as much sense to me. Yeah. It made me excited, but I still played dark music. Yeah. yeah. Like I still embraced, like I was just playing murder ballads for a while <laughs> after that, you know, yeah. um, which is really fun. But it was like, I got into the folk tradition. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was always kind of into the folk tradition in a sense, um, insofar as the people from like the seventies were kind of exposing me yeah. to it. This the sixties and seventies progressive folk that was coming out of London, really exciting stuff to me. And sort of on the other end of that, like acoustic spectrum was, was Elliot Smith. Mm-hmm. But not like a, not really a far cry from Nick Drake because I'm sure that there are plenty of authors and journalists who are, are comparing them like right now, mm. as we speak. But yeah, but I feel like musically, and just aesthetically, I suppose like aesthetically they're kind of distant. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they they work together. Yeah, but aesthetically they're kind of you, you could see someone liking one and not liking the other. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know. There just there came a time when like I could appreciate the sheer hissy beauty of needle in the hay yeah yeah but i didn't need it yeah and i also didn't need to express myself in the same way that that song is expressed Mm. and i think i really i think maybe what i was feeling and maybe what you're feeling now is the knowledge that emulation does not always equal expression yeah that's definitely part of it Yeah. yeah and that which is freeing yeah. But also can be very frustrating and very like, what is my sound? Yeah. You know, <laughs> but I think, you know, it's just, it's, it's a revert, it's a rebirth of sorts. Yeah. And, and that's what it feels like. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely like, that's why I'm like really hesitant to say that it's a bad thing yeah. at all. It's a little bit disorienting because like I've said, I based my entire life and my entire worldview on what I'm now finding was a very narrow view of the world or a very narrow set of interests that I was allowing myself to indulge. So that's a large part of it. And I've seen a lot of people do this in a way, like Henry Rollins, I think is a pretty good example of somebody who went through a pretty fruitful version of something like this. I, to my eye, at least from the outside, it looks like it, you know, being like a wanting to be in a band so bad to being like the front man of an extremely, intense band to flowing out the other side to doing whatever the fuck he like he's always like he's on spoken word tours he's a war correspondent he's got a podcast he's lifting weights I forgot he was a fucking war correspondent. yeah it's like he's just doing stuff and like so much of his approach is like he just wants to try shit you know he's yeah. like he wants yeah. to be an actor screw it like get me a bit part i'm gonna try to kick its ass and then he does that and like that's the headspace that i find myself in right now is mm-hmm. less about wanting to wander and contemplate and more about wanting to like try all this shit that I've never been allowing myself to look at. Right. So it's extremely exciting, but it's also very hard to find that poetic side of it that I really value and or at least did. And it's, it's fucking weird. Yeah. Well, and also like what during this time specifically can be hands on and explorative and yeah. And can you actually like dig into in that same way safely mm. and with confidence? And that's a big part of it. Yeah. The big part of like a lot of the uncertainty that I'm sure you're feeling 
But that's why I think it's it flowed from that feeling in the beginning of the pandemic where everything was out of control and everything was isolating. Yeah. And I started to find real solace. In, and I had had stuff before that, like just, like I said, parts of my personal life that were similarly spirited that I was really seeing a lot of value in like the controllable aspects of them. Mm -hmm. Like they're all just situations where it was like, all right, I can take care of this. Like, I can wake up at this time. I can make sure... I have a good meal, my shit's together. Like, all right, these are things I can deal with so everything else can kind of go to hell or whatever. I found a lot of value in like the mindset that I do that makes me like running, you know, like you just have to not stop running. That's the thing mm -hmm. I love about it is like when I'm in a, in an actual run or a race or whatever, it's like everything can be falling apart. I could be passing out. I could be just my legs feel like they're broken, whatever. But if, as long as I don't stop running, I'm still doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. And I, there's a conclusive way of saying this is going correctly. Yeah. And there's a real kind of Zen to that for me that I think before when everything was kind of for all intents and purposes going correctly, at least around me, I liked going into that, the Nick Drake space where mm -hmm. things are just sort of floating and you're just, it was very calming. Mm -hmm. But now I'm finding like, there's a lot of concretes and a lot of things, not necessarily like, verdicts but like stepping stones or you know a good example is like when i started to study like some of the um some of the social psych stuff and i started to learn about like group polarization and some of like social cognition and i i've really had trouble with a lot of like protest music that i used to like because i started to realize like that pat the bunny line in the song i can't remember what it's called but justin used to cover it all the time and uh the line if singing changed anything they'd make it illegal and i always liked that line Mm -hmm. And I don't completely agree with it, but I did kind of realize like in some of these contexts, it's that same irony of like screaming about an issue in a coffee shop isn't necessarily going to solve it the way addressing the specific cognitive driver that's been pushing this for as long as we've had this issue might. And mm -hmm. I started to see like, oh shit, like I can't like romanticize this anymore and feel genuine. So there's been a lot of things like that. That's where like the existentialism side of it came from is that started to apply to like certain, like, oh, why am I so sad all the time? And it's like, I started to actually figure out why. And then I was like, well, Christ, now I can't just like sit down and write a song that I would put on a solo record about like, I'll never feel whatever again. It's like, no, I figured out why. I might not feel it again, but it's no longer this loose end. Mm. And it was, it's fucking weird, man. It's been really hard to think about what I'm going to do on stage alone. <laughs> <laughs>